Jacob Truba's ugliest elbow of these Stanley Cup playoffs didn't make full contact. And you know what? He just might have topped it last night. Good morning, Dan Vodrovich of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. And I hope you'll check those out as well. Lightning 3, Rangers 1. Karma takes the night. Karma takes Game 5. Truba tried to remove Andre Palat's head with maybe his ugliest chicken wing of these playoffs, and that's saying something considering how long the list is. Palat was headed toward the Tampa Bay bench. The whistle had blown, and Palat either stumbled or shrewdly got out of the way. It's really hard to tell, but what's unmistakable is Truba's right elbow coming way up and way out. And unlike all the other little pick-apart-every-frame justifications that everyone in New York likes to make, including the complicit New York-based media and ESPN, and TNT, and apparently the NHL's hilariously named Department of Player Safety, there's no reason in this sequence for the elbow to be up. None whatsoever. It was up for the express purpose of hitting this player in the head. Now, you know and I know that if the league didn't call anything on Truba, for actual contact and actual injuries administered to players, they're not going to do anything about this either. But I can tell you that the Penguins brass was way more upset about Truba's elbow on Jake in the same game that he ended up leveling Sidney Crosby. Because on the play with Jake, Jake had his back to the sequence. His head was right by the glass, and when Truba came in and tried that chicken wing thing at Jake's head, he just flat out missed. If he hadn't missed, well, it's a good thing for Jake that he did. But here again, the spirit of what he was attempting to do was unmistakable. Way more so than the Sid one, and I thought the Sid one was unmistakable, but Even some people within the Penguins were kind of like, well, he might have been doing this, he might have been doing that. Not with the Jake one, and absolutely not with the one last night. So what's it going to take here? Look at this situation of precedence that this league has now established for this player. They know what he was trying to do to Palat last night. They know in their heart of hearts what he did to all these other people he's elbowed in the head. And yet, because he missed on Palat, they're going to say, well, wow, you know, can't start here. So it's going to have to start with the next elbow to the head. And the next elbow to the head 
is probably going to come in game six because the number of times that Truba is going to have an opportunity to be this close to a Stanley Cup is going to be pretty limited. You know, you'd think it would be pretty bleeping limited considering he's not that good of a hockey player. Why shouldn't he go out in game six in Tampa and take Steven Stamkos's head off or Nikita Kucherov's head off? Or for that matter, you know, go right at Andre Vasilevsky. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. You're going to have to trust me that this isn't about the Penguins. It certainly isn't about the Penguins losing to the Rangers. Anyone who's been with me for any amount of time, whether it's as a reader, viewer, listener, whatever the case might be, knows that this subject boils my blood. I love the game of hockey. It's the most beautiful, fastest, elegant game on the planet. When it's played right, when it's played at its highest level, like some of those recent Olympics, when you had U.S. versus Canada, etc., there's nothing anywhere that can top it. I believe that all the way down. And I really hate when somebody is damaging it and hate it that much more when the chief governing body of the sport, and it's not the IAHF, it's the NHL, believe me, does nothing about it. In fact, encourages it by doing nothing about it. We have seen advances in this sport. I mean, they've been turtle steps, but there have been advances. We're seeing more scoring. We're seeing more emphasis on skill and speed. We're seeing a lot less obstruction to the credit of the league and to its on-ice officials. We really are. And anyone who doubts that, check out a video of a game that was played even seven or eight years ago. You won't recognize it. Skill and speed matter again in this game. We've also seen, in turn, some of the more dangerous activity removed from the sport, if not by force, then more by choice, meaning teams and coaches know that speed and skill win. Mike Sullivan happens to be one of those. And as a result, he's formed his own belief that he's not going to waste a roster spot on a tough guy. He'd rather have 18 skaters who can actually play the game. But what occasionally pops up in this league is the headhunter, is someone who's just so filthy that it feels like the league doesn't exactly know how to respond to this individual. I'm talking, of course, first and foremost, still, always, about Tom Wilson. The league had no idea what to do with this guy. George Peros, the former NHL enforcer, which is just a unbelievable that this is the guy that's running Department of Player Safety, like something out of a sitcom. But Peros would listen to Wilson at these hearings and go, yeah, Tom, I'm feeling you, man. You're just a big guy, you know, and these little guys, they just keep running into your shoulder. And man, I feel really bad for you, Tom, but I, I love the way you talk. Uh, I love the fact that you're a 
you know, a terrific overall player, which incidentally he is. You know, uh, I'm going to give you another shot there. Willie, go get him. And then he goes right back out there and does it again. Now here's Truba. He becomes an instant folk hero in, of all places, New York, where the media is going to be heard a lot louder, including by the league office, since, you know, they happen to be based there. And they're going to be partisan to that hype. They're going to hear from absolutely everybody around them that here's a guy who just finishes his checks. He's an old-time hockey player. He's bringing the physical back to hockey. He's head-hunting. How much more evidence do you need when we come back, J1Q? J1Q comes from Mark, who asks, who would you bet becomes the next captain of the Penguins if they're both here when Sidney Crosby hangs them up? Jake Gensel or Brian Rust? Dude, who, who asks hypothetical questions about the post-Sid era? Take it back. I, I, I'm rolling this question up in a crumpled ball and throwing it back in your direction. You can't talk about post-Sid. Dude, no. Uh, it's Rust. I, I, see, all I'm supposed to do here is answer the question, right? I'm not supposed to critique the questions. It's Rust. Uh, for anybody who never heard me tell this story, when Sam Lafferty, the Holidaysburg kid, got called up to the Penguins and had a couple of nice games for them, he and I were talking in Winnipeg about the methodology in the minors regarding learning the Mike Sullivan system so that players would be as prepared as possible to do what the head coach wanted, even if they were recalled you know, at a moment's notice to Pittsburgh. And the methodology that was in place at the time remains the same today, and that's this. Be like Brian Rust. He is shown to these players as being the role model. Now, you might ask, why isn't it Sid? Why isn't it uh, Gino or someone like that? The answer to that is that Sid is Sid. Sid is extraordinary. You can't tell a young player, hey, be like Sid, because you can't. You know, he's not human. If you say to a young player, by the way, be just as good as someone who is easily considered one of the top five players in hockey history, you're going to lose their attention because they know that's not feasible. It would be like telling me or you, Mark, to just go out there and be like Sid. It's pretty much the same separation. All right, maybe a little bit more. But with Rust, Rust's backstory is that he was little bit of an undersized winger, uh, came up into the NHL as a guy who really played with blinders on, wasn't a particularly good passer, was seen as someone who could kind of just grind his way into a decent NHL career. Instead, he kept working. He kept making himself better. He kept learning little moves, little tricks with the puck. 
Some of the same traits that I've seen, by the way, from Teddy Bluger and a couple others, and not many more, where they become infatuated with improving offensively, with improving their creative skills, their touch on the puck, the knack with the puck, the moving in motion, receiving a puck, catching it off the boards. These are the kinds of things that for years and years and years, actually decades in hockey, were practices that were limited to the Europeans, which is why the European players would come over and look so awesome and super skilled, and specifically the Russians, because they spent so much time on individual skills. Well, we're starting to see that kind of balance out a little bit, including globally, aren't we? Well, Rust became a self-taught, self-made, first-line National Hockey League player, first power play unit, elite penalty killer, according to no less an authority than Sullivan himself. Rust did all that. Rust deserves all the credit for that. He is the perfect choice to be the answer to your hypothetical question. But we'll be taking no more of these. I'll tell you that right now. Sid's got three more years on that deal. Enjoy Sid. Don't worry about after Sid. I appreciate the question, Mark. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one Monday.